0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Thanks so much for joining me. Today, we're talking about artificial intelligence. Should you be afraid of Skynet? Is it going to kill you? Or is it just going to take your job? My friend James Chernowski is here. He is with Young Voices and Americans for Prosperity. And he follows tech policy. We've had him on a bunch of times to talk about things like Section 230. He just follows this stuff way more closely than I do. But we have a good conversation about, is AI dangerous? How can it be used in your career? Should we regulate it? Who's trying to regulate it? And what are their ultimate goals? So stay tuned for that here on the Chris Spangle Show right after these words. James Chernowski, thank you so much for joining me. I, through the magic of editing... No one knows how badly I just messed up your name. Even though you've been on multiple times, I love having conversations with you. We love to talk about tech policy. You're with Americans for Prosperity. Uh, You are a senior policy analyst. Sorry, I had to pull up my notes. I'm not AI. I make mistakes. Focusing on tech and innovation over there at AFP. And you have a great piece in the New York Post. That caught my eye called Cracking Down on AI Companies Could Rob America of Economic Growth. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that because that's partly an FTC story and government regulation failure story. And will AI get regulated? But I really wanted to have you on to talk about AI because it's the hot topic. Are we going to go full Skynet? Are we going to be killed by AI? I go back and forth, right? My my usage is ChatGPT. I pay for it. I'm part of the problem. But you know what? Between Descript and ChatGPT and some of these other things, my job is way easier because it helps me shortcut a lot of ideas. And everybody that I know that uses ChatGPT has saved themselves a ton of time. And everybody that uses AI seems to be doing some cool things. James, I don't see a lot of people being replaced at this point. I see a lot of people having some helpful tools that are like jumpstarts. Yeah. But I also worry about 20 years from now, right? So help me navigate this.
1: Are you hitting the panic button as somebody that follows tech policy way closer than I do? I'm certainly not hitting any panic buttons right now over here, Chris. I think that ChatGPT is just the latest evolution in artificial intelligence technology that goes and shows just how powerful and promising this tech can be when left unfettered with by regulation and government intervention. I think that there's a lot of things that we can appreciate about this. But when it comes to the, what I call like the Skynet, when you were referencing that, or the Terminator doomsday, hat donners, if you will, I think that while that's certainly something you can't never say never, it is not something that is likely or feasible. That's like definitely a very off shoot kind of thing that could have happened. And I think that it's important to be pragmatic about understanding that that reality. Some people got lost with that, and you had 350 people signing a rather open-ended letter that said something to the effect of, we must take the threats of artificial intelligence as seriously as the nuclear bomb and pandemics. I'm like, you could go and remove artificial intelligence and probably insert a lot of things in there and get a lot of people to sign that same letter, because those kinds of things that are being leveled there are, are obviously quite calamitous in nature, So I think that there's a little bit of a distraction that goes on with AI because it's the new thing. And there certainly is a little bit of an era of skepticism around tech more so than there has been in the past. And that's fine. But I think that people just have to realize that it's not going to go and end the world. No, no AI scientists have come up with a definite conclusion of your Skynet thing. Some people say 10 years, some people say 30 years, some people say 100 years, some people say never. So there's a lot of uncertainty. And I think that when we're looking at how to deal with this technology, it doesn't make sense to go and, and, and approach it from a, a case of being worried about things. That's not the way that America has done things in the past. It's not the way that we should be doing them now. And it certainly is not the way that we should be thinking about these issues in the future either. We can only stand to gain by going and leveraging this technology to its fullest potential, not by shuttering it with a lot of pointless and sometimes one would say cumbersome regulation. So when you
0: look at it, when you, it's impossible to predict, right? But when you look at the one of the few fiction books I've read in the past few years was Origins by Dan Brown, which is really good. And basically, this computer ends up taking over, and it's really good. I'm not going to spoil the plot twist in the last one-eighth of the book, but... Or the recent military test, where it realizes the human being is the problem in telling it not to kill, so it goes and kills the operator in this AI test, I think... I think I just was reading in Politico 70, some new think tank has been formed by a Silicon Valley guy that didn't have anything going on, so he started an anti-AI think tank, basically talking about how we need to regulate AI because 72% of Americans think it's going to kill us all. On On a general scale, like how concerned are you in terms of and I know this is the same question, but a different question. I'm asking it to, like, grade it. You know, when you read these news articles about AI, are you like, look, I'm at a 1 of concern. It's just going to be a helper. I'm at a 10, like, it's going to completely wipe out human beings.
1: Yeah, I would say jobs. I'm more... Yeah, I would say that I'm more of a pragmatist. I think that there are some valid concerns there. So I'm pro- admittedly, I'm closer to one than I am to, to 10. I would say that at the end of the day, there are some valid conversations we want to have around AI. Notably, I think you pointed out at the tail end of your question there, the job uh, displacement uh, question that comes up often with any kind of new technology. I think that's perfectly fair game to want to have that conversation, and we should have that. But largely, again, I don't think that we should be giving into fear and tropes because AI is just the latest iteration of insert technology here that has gotten all those similar kinds of arguments of destruction, despair, addiction, whatever. You can find that examples later throughout history of people going and likening TV, radio, the electric, electricity, more broadly speaking, the car, the first automobiles, right? All of them have had these kinds of accusations leveled against it. AI is just the latest and greatest. And admittedly, it's certainly a more powerful technology and transformative technology than some of those things being listed. But At the same time, I think that we can't just put our heads in the sand and pretend that nobody is going to do anything ever with this technology just because we're not. And I'd rather be on the side of investing and developing this technology in a way that lets us go and anticipate those malactors and be able to be better prepared for when they use that technology in such a fashion. So that way we can mitigate against downside effects. I want to be in that position where I can recognize the power and the promise of the technology, but also be prepared to better keep us in a position to be successful when bad things do happen, because they will happen just like they do with anything.
0: Yeah, this is one of the weird things about libertarians is free markets. But there is an anti-modernity streak that runs through libertarianism, the right, and it combats with the, the new Elon Musk Transhumanist. He's, I think, like a great example, a microcosm of that entire debate between the transhumanist, where technology will enable us to live better lives than we've ever lived, let's merge with it, versus the anti modernity, let's live in a log cabin and type out a thing. Whereas you're coming at it from the middle, going, look, there's going to be some good, there's going to be some bad, but that happened with the printing press and the wars that followed immediately. That happened with the atomic bomb. Human beings have an incredible ability to survive. We're still here, and so let's not freak out too much.
1: Yeah, the story of technology is a story of adaptation in many ways. People thought that they knew the world in one way until that transformative technology entered their lives in one way or another. And then, again, those same kinds of conversations happened, and... Lo and behold, people adapted to it. They adjusted. They were able to incorporate it and leverage it to go and help themselves live a better life. So, again, these kinds of things are going to happen. The conversation is going to be there. Let's have it responsibly. I don't want to be dealing with Skynet kind of stuff. I think that's a distraction from the actual conversations that we want to have when it comes to AI. And I think that at the end of the day, it's going to be a net positive. You pointed out how this is helping you with with your preparation for the show that you're putting on here, which is always great. Love listening to your guests that you have on all the time. Thank you. But I think that... Just thinking about it in the broader context, too, this is something where Sal Khan has AI that he wants to use to help kids have their own personalized tutor, which I think is actually a massive boon for kids that have had an educational gap now dating back the last few years because of the COVID lockdowns. I think that's going to be something that's going to take a generation to fix. And something like that being used productively by, let's say, Sal Khan at Khan Academy, it's just one of many things. And more importantly, I've been impacted by a lot of people in my family who have had cancer over the years. And I think that this technology is doing a better job of helping doctors spot cancer. You could go and have that conversation around Skynet, but I'd rather have the conversation around the promise and the amazing things that this technology can unlock for us to really go and save lives and play a meaningful role in society. That's more productive. That's more helpful, I think, than going and being all doom and gloom. The people that want to live back in the 1200s, I I don't think they remember just how miserable that was. Like, I read a lot of those books. I remember what, what life was like. There were definitely some things that were nice about that era, but let's not make a mistake either. That they had they had a lot of disease and death, short lifespans. Right, they did not have the same kind of access to technology and information or being able to form communities in the same way that we do now. There's a lot of trans- trade offs that come with that. So while I get the nostalgia that comes with it, I think that people are often overlooking a lot of the really good things that are happening in modern society today too.
0: Yeah, I think we all should remember what's happened the last three years and let's not give into fear and overregulate something or overdo it. Let's maybe start with a definition of AI, right? Let's just get really fundamental. And maybe I should have started with that for those who just don't quite grasp what AI is. Like, how is AI different than social media or just web 1.0 2.0 like how is this different and why
1: are people worried about it yeah so artificial intelligence is basically leveraging computers to do tasks that usually require human thinking learning um from experiences or making decisions uh and just automating that process and streamlining it through right traditionally When we're thinking about like social media, what that's doing is, and AI does play a role in this, it helps the algorithm go and tailor the content that is appearing in front of you within that context. But they're two fundamentally different technologies at its core. AI has been used for at least the last dozen years uh, by companies in a more internal-facing manner. For example, when you're using text on your iPhone, sometimes you see predictive words come up when you start typing out, saying, hey, maybe you want to go and say what or whatever there, Right. And that's driven by AI. It's trying to predict what you're trying to say and just move you along the process, if you will. Uh, Same kind of thing, getting incorporated into emails, right? So this is just an evolution of the web, if you will, where you're finally seeing a product that's been used for years in a more internal, behind-the-scenes kind of way, actually getting leveraged and exposed to the consumer at the end. And having them have this interaction now with ChatGPT, where it can help you with planning a travel itinerary planning out a dietary regimen right a workout schedule if you will giving you a ideas. therapist I've, yeah I've ahead. talked to multiple
0: people who use chat GPT <clears throat> they literally tell it everything they use it like a diary. Yeah. And then ask it to either write them a schedule the next day or th- some people use it like a therapist. Yeah. Where they I don't know how I feel about that, but they get something out of it. So
1: who am I to judge? It's very fascinating. I, I never thought of it in that particular context. But hey, if it works for them, I guess to each their own. But yeah, like that's the fundamental difference, right? Is that The way that it's been used historically has been more internal facing to helping businesses streamline things to help them be more efficient about it. And now we're getting to a point where we can actually expose the consumers to this and go and train and evolve it even more to help tailor it to fitting what the consumer wants and needs. So it started out with something as simple as ChatGPT, but now we're starting to see emergent variants of this where political ads are getting entirely generated by generative AI. We're seeing for voices, like we were talking offline before this kicked off, where I think it was like Ariana Grande had something going on with using AI voices so that people can go and make songs. And it's like a different kind of arrangement there. So I think that there's all kinds of fascinating things that will go and emerge as the use cases develop that make it fundamentally different than what social media is. So... I think that's part of the conversation that's been dragging right now for AI is that when everybody's couching it and thinking about all the bad things, quote unquote, that social media has done to society, they think that there was a missed opportunity there. And that justifies them doing something here with artificial intelligence. And I think that's wrong. If you do that and that's how you're approaching it, that means that you're going to get stuck in conversations that are actually unproductive and not letting us advance and promise and support this technology and instead stifle it and bog it down. Yeah. And I think that's that would be a disappointment if that's what ended up happening here.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Is that really what's driving the conversation around regulating is look, we missed it with social media, it had all these bad effects, suicides and teens are way up. It's Mm -hmm. largely due to Instagram, although I'd argue loss of community is just as impactful. But is that really what's driving the fear is we're right off the back of social media's, I don't know, failure, if you want to put it that way?
1: Yeah, and I certainly have my own disagreements with that entire subject in and of itself. But yeah, if you ask President Joe Biden when he was leading one of the AI luncheons, it was I think a couple months back, he was talking about like how the the harms of social media was something to point to when looking at AI and the harms that could arise out of that. And you've had other members of Congress when they've had hearings go and invoke social media when talking about AI. And again, it's just, it's a wrong way to go and look at it. I think that social media, it gets blamed. And while it might have a pie, a portion of the pie, if you will, for the blame that comes out of some of those societal ills, it's not a holistic approach to understanding why. Those things are happening, to your point, loss of community, other kinds of institutions that have eroded over time. That's not because of social media. There are other factors that are contributing here. And I think that we need to more seriously look at those things before going and laying the blame at social media. But again, the problem here that comes from stems from it is that you're taking all that baggage that comes with social media right now with that conversation and just dumping it on AI when they are, again, two very different technologies uh, that are driving them there. AI does play some role in social media, but it is not the same thing. Social media is not AI. And I think that's something that gets lost in translation. And I think that there are some severe implications if we let that conversation continue to dominate how we're thinking about AI.
0: I think one of the things that people are missing in this conversation is that We always make the mistake. Progress and growth. I guess growth is always like a, it's a hallmark of capitalistic societies and you always want to increase your profits and you always want your population to grow. But in all these major industrial countries, you're going to have industrial, you're going to have population cliffs where there's just not going to be as many people to do as many jobs. I think we're starting to feel that in America where, why is my Taco Bell not 24 hours anymore, right? Someday we will tell our kids of going to Taco Bell at 2 a.m. with our friends in high school, and they won't believe us because it closed at 7 p.m. because they couldn't find anybody to work it. And I was having a conversation with somebody that runs a museum-ish, not to give anything away, but a museum vertical, and they were talking about, I don't know if you've seen the, the Indiana Historical Society has Ava Corps the Holocaust survivor, like a 3D, you can have a conversation with her. It's incredible where you sit down in a dark room with one of the Mangala twins victims and you can ask her questions and you ask her, what's your favorite color? And what Because you don't want to get to the Holocaust question because it's like you're talking to a real person. And they were telling me AI is going to cheaply allow people to go and do that but for your family in the future, right? Or yeah. maybe AI could be used to alleviate some of the front desk problems where when you're checking in, you're having a conversation with an yep. AI assistant because they can't afford to hire somebody to do... like it's. So the, I think we think the job replacement thing where 50% of the workforce is going to get disrupted by AI, when in reality as the population declines because we're not the birth rate has lowered, we're going to need technology to pick up a lot of those, a lot of the slack. And I think that's something that maybe is getting missed in the conversation, James.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a completely fair thing. When I think about the job displacement thing, usually whenever technology conversations come up, job destruction is almost always a certain thing that gets brought up.
0: Remember when the panic 10 years ago about how by now we'd all have just electric truck drivers? Yeah. it it was It was... Look, all the men are going to be out of jobs and there's not one electric truck on the road.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's its own separate problem. And I think that there's actually ways of leveraging that technology with those truckers to come up with a better outcome than is currently there. Because you follow like what they're going through for their work schedule, and it's insane. The amount of hours that they're driving, and how uncomfortable it is, and the lingering health effects that come from doing that kind of work. Again, respectable stuff, and we want to support job creation and all that. But man, if we can do it better, then why shut the door on that either? Again, I think that the job destruction thing is always brought up with any kind of new technology. But it's important to understand that Um, I think especially with AI, it's not going to be like some magic cliff drop off where all these jobs get eliminated and then no jobs get created. There's always going to be job creation, too. It's going to be a little bit more of a smooth thing where you see some jobs getting destroyed and some jobs getting created. And also this other third option of other jobs just getting repurposed. Um, There are a lot of jobs where you have a lot of administrative tasks that maybe you don't like doing. I know that I certainly have them in my work. And if I could have the chatbot do it, then, oh, yeah, sign me up. And that means that it frees up my productivity to do even more things which is why when you're looking at some studies about AI and the impact that it can have in the United States alone, I believe it's, it is expected to go and double the workforce productivity in the United States and have a global impact on GDP of around 7%. That's trillions of dollars that we're talking about here and a lot of impact around the world, not just in the United States, but in the United States. If we're the leaders there, then we stand to go and gain the most as well, because we got there first and we were able to go and support the companies and get jobs going in that sense as well. So I think that there's, I think a very real conversation that we can have where we can be pragmatic to those job loss concerns, but also come up with a good strategy for how do we go and make sure that people are prepared for the economy of tomorrow not just complain about the potential downsides yeah i think
0: you made the point about the writers who are striking currently and for me like taking an hour and a half podcast re-watching it having to focus for that 90 minutes on writing show notes and key takeaways and all that isn't it just so much a better use of my time to Take the automatic transcript from Descript, put that into ChatGPT, have it summarize it for me, clean up the language into my own voice, and have it take 20 minutes instead of 90 minutes where I can take that other 60, 70 minutes and put that towards some other piece of production. So the folks who are, you know, in Hollywood talking the most about how, oh, everybody just works too hard and gets paid too little... It's weird you're protesting the thing that might actually (laughs) help you make up some of that gap.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I can, like, from personal experience, like I I know I've mentioned in the past, I use AI in my personal capacity to help better frame the kinds of questions that I want to be asking and what is the answer that I'm trying to get to here. And I found that having that conversation, that back and forth with ChatGPT or Bard or any of these AI tools is actually a constructive way for me to think through, okay, what are some of the arguments I can expect from a person who does not hold the same view as myself? What are some other angles that I might want to consider discussing that maybe I'm just a overlooking and that makes me better as a person who deals in tech policy for having that resource at my disposal and the same thing could be said to the writers that are currently on strike too where again if you are leveraging this technology to help you go and come up with new scripts new ideas new settings and you're producing new content at a much faster pace than you otherwise would guess what you would get rewarded for that you're talking about wanting more pay you want whatever you get the pay when you go and you produce things. That That's how the economy works at a very high level there. You make something and people want it and they'll buy it. And then there you go. And, and AI can play a role to that end. And I think that, again, whether it's for writing or for other kinds of tasks that you want to do, AI can be extraordinarily helpful. So, again, that's why I'm so bullish on the prospects. I think that there is a massive opportunity here. People just have to be aware enough to recognize that and seize it.
0: Yeah, I was having a conversation with a guy who was a cinematographer recently, and he had ChatGPT write all of his contracts. He basically started a, a whole business with Chat GPT, having it write contracts and agreements and set up business plans and he's I never would have been able to take the time to research all this stuff and now I've got people working for me in a freelance capacity thanks to all these agreements that this helped me do. And I think it just feel it yeah, he wasn't going to pay a lawyer to do any of that because he didn't have the money to begin with. Yeah. Yet he's better prepared. So let's talk about how we're gonna screw all this up. I just was reading in Semaphore that OpenAI has now started moderating ChatGPT, and they've written a script that hopefully will be rolling out to other social medias. People aren't traumatized in Kenya for having to look at bestiality videos all day. And these services are trying to figure out how to moderate themselves, which I would rather just see some offensive content from ChatGPT than have the, I'm sorry, I can't give you an honest answer because this might be offensive, which has happened. And then there's also the government regulation piece. So let's start with self-censoring first, because it seems like these companies are starting to self-censor both out of their own fear for their industry and also because of policy makers.
1: Yeah, I think that's unsurprising. You saw that in the social media era, certainly plenty. And I think that you get a lot of civil society orgs going and knocking on the door saying that you've got X problem on your platform. What are you going to do about it with the expectation that something is supposed to happen at the other end of that rainbow there? And companies would go and sometimes respond and sometimes they wouldn't, but... As a result of that, that meant that there was less of a content library, if you will, of things that would be on the web. That's a little disappointing to hear that maybe they're going to do something similar on AI. I think, especially with all the disclosures that the bots have when it comes to it, where it says, hey, we're going to go and say false, misleading things. We might get facts and places and people wrong. I think that it's doing a good enough job of being upfront with the user of saying, hey, Don't just like trust, but verify, if you will. Don't just take our word on it. Go and do your own stuff. I think that, again, it's a new conduit of communication in many ways, and people are interested in trying to control what that looks like. And I can only hope that conservatives and others can go and get better about understanding that we need to try to encourage as much as humanly possible to be on the web. I don't mind things that are offensive, but I also grew up in a time where people were saying a lot worse things than what you typically see on Twitter these days, which I know for some people it's hard to believe.
0: Yeah, there's an article in The Byte that somebody sent me, and basically students are submitting answers saying, I am an AI language model. So <laughs> it's all these articles about how this is going to destroy academia. Yeah. People are just still copying and pasting the disclaimers. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's... Now let's talk about the policy side. What groups out there within the government have their eyes uh, on devouring this technology and managing this technology currently? What's out there for discussion? Yeah, that's, uh, man, that's a lot of... uh, Let me uh, rephrase, which agencies are not trying to... Yeah, right,
1: that list is a lot shorter, I imagine. But you've got the FTC... The DOJ, the Equal Opportunity Employment Office, the, there's so many of them that are looking at this in different contexts because AI will go and have some overlap with any of this for sure. But a lot of these agencies are looking at it. Some of them are being a little more aggressive than others. The FTC, notably, is seemingly trying to put its foot firmly in the ground and say that it is the AI regulator of choice, even if I disagree with him vehemently of that characterization. They're certainly one of the biggest actors in that space, and certainly the FCC, Starting to look at that as well, and there's at least some nexus of of common sense there in terms of like robocalls and other things where you might see AI getting leveraged to do that. Which, again, that's a perfectly fine conversation to have, but other people are a little bit more egregious about it.
0: No, it's not. No, I've worked in radio since the mid 2000s, so forget the FCC. Uh, Only I'd use a different language, it's not a conversation we're having. Leave free (laughs) speech alone. I'm a zealot when it comes to the FCC. Leave my speech alone, but your article is actually about the FTC and some of the L's that they've been taking. Lena Kahn has been called to Congress to actually come and discuss her track record of losing in court as they have been unable to actually regulate some of these different mergers like Meta, a Microsoft, Twitter, some of these things. But they're trying to get into the business of regulating OpenAI, AI. What does the FCC want of OpenAI, which their biggest product is ChatGPT? What's the FTC wanting to do?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So the FTC sent said that they were going to open an investigation into OpenAI, and this centered around two claims. One was around broad consumer data privacy harm. And this is relation to their collection of data. And then the second was around false statements made by their chat bot around individuals itself, right? So if you break down those two things, the first one, I think, falls flat on its face insofar as that how ChatGPT works is that it is basically scraping all publicly available information on the Internet and then using it to train its language models, and then that means that really what the FTC was doing, at least in my view, is that they were using that prong to go and justify cuddling OpenAI over the false statements about individuals that the chatbot can make. Now, what they're doing in that process is that they're trying to say, to your point before about self-censoring, they're trying to force OpenAI to control what are the inputs going into their large language model that then go affect the outputs of ChatGPT. Right. And the problem here is that the FTC is a competition regulator. It is not a speech regulator. All those inputs that I just mentioned that are being publicly available, scraped data off the internet, that is anything from articles, ebooks, you name it. Right. And all that's user generated content. When we think about the social media platforms, that's always what it comes down to that's speech. And the the FTC has no role. And trying to control those inputs in an attempt to go and control what's coming out of the product either. Th- that is speech on either side, and the FTC trying to do this should alarm Americans of any political stripe, not just Republicans.
0: Yeah, especially, we've talked about jawboning, I think, before, and yeah. how the Biden administration, for instance, through COVID, tried to, look, this set of experts are the only people you are allowed to listen to. ChatGPT should only have this set of experts. Otherwise, we're going to penalize you the boogeyman of misinformation is – the word misinformation is what I see repeatedly. Look, there's misinformation out there. There's a large portion of people who are disconnected from reality and think that Trump won the election and the election was stolen from him. I, I get that they've just bought into misinformation, right? It happens, but in reality – the country's gonna survive people the more speech the better speech sunshine disinfects all of that right but what is it about the term misinformation that i just keep seeing pop up is it that you know they want to use this concept as a fear tactic to only allow their experts are they genuinely afraid of it or am i just thinking all politicians are cynical and making up a term to be afraid of
1: yeah, I think that because it's a boogeyman, obviously some some people are more interested in using the word than others. I know that when we were talking about Section 230 stuff in the past, there were proposals by some members of Congress that would open up these platforms to liability if they spread COVID misinformation on their platforms. Now, the problem with misinformation as a general concept is that you're, you're just saying that it is something that you think you believe to not be true, But with the COVID example, right, with, let's say, the lab leak theory, that was getting punished by content rules because of the notion of it being labeled as misinformation. But you fast forward a year later, that starts to become a little bit more like a fair question to be asking. And then you fast forward to today, and it's very much in the mainstream of a question to be asking. But it was originally labeled as misinformation, And if misinformation just ultimately equates to speech that I do not like because it is heterodox, that is very problematic, I think, because that is such a subjective and arbitrary standard to be trying to go and weigh when it comes to content. More broadly speaking, whether that's in the context of social media or even in the context of AI outputs, it's all that's clearly misinformation. You know what? I, I don't know. That's why you're supposed to go and not just... Take it for a head face value, which is what I talked about in the op-ed. That the these apps go and clearly state their limitations and what they can and cannot do. And then you're just taking it at face value. Whose fault is that really? Ultimately, is it the chatbot who did everything in its power to tell you like, hey, guys, like you might want to do your own research here? Uh, Or is it you who who sat there and was just like, according to the bot? I I think that it's it's very problematic. And I think misinformation is just another cudgel being used in the belt because they think that people are responsive to it. Certainly, we know some people are very much attached to that notion and being fearful of it being slapped on themselves.
0: So if they want to regulate what goes in and, and regulate that scrape, are they going to go after Bing and Google and what what they can scrape and cannot scrape? That doesn't make any sense to just punish one person. Well no, you're
1: absolutely and right. And out. I yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Again, if you want to have a conversation around consumer data privacy more broadly speaking, which is the general topic that this falls under then, yeah, you know what, I'll gladly go down there to Congress and I will work with all my friends and we will try to get something done on a federal level. Not at the FTC, which is what Lena Khan's trying to do right now herself. She's just trying to take it into her hands and regulate what consumer data privacy looks like in the United States, although she calls it uh, commercial surveillance. So I don't think that the kinds of rules and regulations that she might want to pop out would actually be all that conducive and helpful to having a functioning Internet that would work across the United States. I think that it's, again, she's definitely overstepping her boundaries. And when it came to the open AI thing, it was just the latest evidence in a string of a lot of cases where we're just seeing this person pursue an agenda and chase headlines, not be a law enforcement agency like they're supposed to be for enforcing the law.
0: Right. So if both of these prongs, first, the data scrape, and second, the publishing of misinformation, which they tell you not to believe them at every point, I pay for it. They still tell you that. If both of those are BS, is that really what this is about? Is a person who is head of an agency trying to get some headlines?
1: I certainly am inclined to believe that because I think that this is a woman who's been chair now for a couple of years who has demonstrated that she has a, a clear animosity for the, the technology sector particularly, but then also just big businesses too. OpenAI is a multi-billion dollar company and Microsoft, which helps give a lot of money towards it too, is a 2000000000000 dollar company. So there's a lot of animosity that comes with that from Chair Khan. She's been very clear about that. She's about to go and drop a lawsuit, I think, any day now against Amazon trying to break them up because two-day shipping and Prime is a horrible thing. She's a woman who's just demonstrated time and time again that she does not care about whether the facts are on her side, whether the law is on her side. She just cares that she has an agenda to push and she's going to use the power of the government agency that she's been awarded the chair of to go and accomplish that goal. And I think that's really scary stuff. You don't want to be in a position of having our institutions being weaponized in such a fashion.
0: Yeah, alright. We know what's going on. The fever dreams that progressives have of being Eugene Debs and, <laughs> and Teddy Roosevelt and breaking up all this stuff. It's just so weird to me. Alright, James, shameless self-promotion time. Where can people follow you and find out more of your stuff and follow you on a more current basis than the the every couple months that we get to talk to you?
1: Yeah, you guys can go and follow me over on Twitter. Also that X thing but you can follow me there at Oh uh, it is Twitter on
0: this program. I'm not changing. It's <laughs> these <laughs> puffs are called Kleenex in this household.
1: I will not call it a re X. I don't know what we're doing. It's a retweet. <laughs> Yeah, so they can follow me there at uh, JamesCZ19. I would also strongly recommend people who like hearing myself and others to follow you on on Twitter and to also follow Young Voices at Young Voices Org. That's the organization that I have an affiliation with, and they're great, and they help me go and talk with great people like you. That's where you can keep up with all the latest and greatest for myself and all these other great people and groups that are talking about fun things like this.
0: All right, James Trunowski, thanks for being my guest today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And thank you. If you enjoyed this, if you learned something, please share it with your friends and tell them why. That is the really the best way, the only way that all content creators grow is word of mouth. That's the best way you can help them. Thanks for joining us here on The Chris Spangle Show. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.